0: Good morning. 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 I'm excited to be here. How about you? Yeah, that's right. We call ourselves the frozen chosen, right, here in Minnesota. Here, even when it's Arctic wind outside, so good to see you all. My name is Eric. I get to be the pastor here. Just want to say welcome. So we're in this series called Dangerous Prayers. What we're doing is we're learning some different kinds of prayers, some dangerous prayers. In week one, we talked about, we learned from King David, as he said, Oh God, search my heart. Show me my anxious thoughts and reveal to me my sins. So that's a dangerous prayer to ask God to reveal the things that are going on in our hearts. Not so that we feel bad, but so then we can move towards healing by confessing, by receiving from Jesus forgiveness and grace. And then we, we learn the dangerous prayer, God, change me. Jacob, who wrestled with God. And we said, man... We'd rather be someone who limps, who walks with a limp after an encounter with Jesus, than someone who's running after the wrong things, amen? And so we say, God, change us. And so we've been praying these dangerous prayers, God, search me, God, change me. And then today is maybe one of my favorites. We're going to be praying, God, send me, God, send me. Because I believe that God has designed each and every one of us to be a force for good and light in this world, amen? Amen. And I believe that you are not here by accident. And I believe that God is going to show you something today. That he's going to use my words and he's going to be, his Holy Spirit's going to be talking in and around and through my words to reveal something in your heart today. Uh, would you join me in a word of prayer and then uh, we'll dive into today. God, I thank you that you are here. I thank you at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. That the name of Jesus, darkness trembles. At the name of Jesus, people find freedom and grace and hope. So God, we just pray that here in this place, that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, that that you'd be the one speaking through me and and in my words and behind my words. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. There's a company called Americollect in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, and I heard about this company, and I thought, man, this is fascinating, so AmeriCollect is in a business that typically, you don't talk a whole lot about what a great company it is, they're in medical collections, so they're the ones that when you you need to pay your bills, they call you and kind of hound you, that's what this field is, to, you know, get you to pay your bills, But in the last couple of years, this company has grown from just 12 employees to 280 employees. And they've grown from doing $600,000 in business to $26 million a year. And their company is phenomenally growing. And it's now rated one of the best places to work. How did this happen? How did a collections company grow exponentially, be this place where people love to work? Well, a new owner came in, and he changed the entire culture, and he said, this is going to be our vision statement. This is going to be more than that. This is going to be the culture that we are going to create, and you see it everywhere on their website and stuff, and it's ridiculously nice collections, ridiculously nice collections. Like, that's crazy, right? Like, they're in the collections business. It's, it's like, you got to owe us, you pay this, this money, you need to owe us this, but this new culture is, you know what? We're going to treat everyone with extraordinary kindness and dignity. We're going to treat everyone with extraordinary kindness and dignity. And what happens a lot of times in the medical field is that when someone owes a bill, they'll give half of the bill to one collections company and half to another. And they kind of see which company is able to get more money uh, for the bill. Well, since they've adopted this slogan, Ridiculously Nice Collections, They have won the head-to-head competition 97% of the time. 90% of the time. That's amazing. And that's great. They're they're making money. They're they're doing great. But when I found this out, this blew my mind. They've grown from 12 employees to 280 employees. 60% of those employees were from people who they originally collected from. Now, at first, you hear that and you think, oh, wow, well, maybe this was smart. Maybe this company, as they grew, they went after those people because they know they need a job. (laughs) It's actually the opposite. These people who had gone through terrible medical bills, gone through a collections process, had such an amazing experience with AmeriCollect, that they said, I want to work for that company. That is amazing. This one company decided to change how... The Business is normally done in their field, and business is up. Employees love working there. People who went through terrible, tough times want to work for this company. You and I were designed to be a force for good in this world. You and I were designed to make a difference. As a follower of Jesus, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You are now an ambassador for the kingdom of God. We represent our king to this world around us. And in whatever field you are, in whatever business, whatever role you play, you represent God. You are his ambassador. Where is God sending you? I believe, like America Collect. Man, you are in a field maybe that needs people to experience dignity and worth and value. Whatever you do, that God wants to send you to where you are right now to make a difference. God wants to, you, you, you to pray this dangerous prayer. God, send me. God, send me. Well, if, if you're not sure where God maybe is sending you, That's okay. There's good news because you're not the only one to feel that way of, of, God, I don't know if I want to go. I don't know where you're sending me. And if we look at the Bible, people have had a variety of different responses. When God shows up and says, hey, I have a mission for you. I want to send you somewhere. We look at the story of Jonah. God shows up and says, Jonah, I want you to go and tell these people about the good news. And Jonah says, here I am, God. I'm not going. And he runs in the opposite direction. God shows up to Moses at the burning bush and says, hey, tell this good news to the people of Israel that they are now going to be free. And he says, here I am. Can you send someone else, like my brother, who's more articulate and verbal than me? He's more talented than me? Then there's Isaiah, and that's what we're going to look at today. And when God says, who will we send? Isaiah says, God, here am I. Send me. So how do we cultivate that kind of heart attitude? How do we cultivate the attitude of saying, God, here am I, send me? Well, that's what we're going to explore today. We're going to look at the life of Isaiah and, and how did he get to the place where he could be that force of good and hope in the world. Isaiah, was, he's a Jewish prophet that lived 700 years before Jesus was born. He was born in Jerusalem, and he found his calling as a prophet. In the year, he saw this vision in the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah is sometimes called the Prince of Prophets. There's an amazing video on YouTube. Um, I don't go on YouTube a whole lot. Honestly, that's how I know I'm a Gen Xer, not a Millennial or a Gen Zer. Um, But if you ever go on YouTube, there's a great documentary. Uh, It's called Eugene Peterson and Bono. Has anyone seen this? Eugene? Okay, Okay. check it out. It's really good. So Eugene Peterson is a pastor. Uh, He was. He passed away this past year. Uh, And he was a pastor on the East Coast. His church never grew beyond five hundred people, but man, he wrote all these amazing books uh, about pastoring and life. And then he wanted to translate the scriptures into uh, a way that his people could understand. And so he actually translated what's called the Message Version of the Bible. Uh, he, he was a phenomenal Hebrew, Aramaic, uh, Greek scholar. So he went back to the ancient Hebrew and translating kind of a modern day vernacular. It's a paraphrase, but it's, it's an amazing version of the Bible, the Message. Well. The message version had a profound impact on Bono, the lead singer of U2. And, and there's this great interview you can find online, but they're talking about this guy's interviewing Eugene Peterson and how Bono reached out to him, the lead singer of, of U2, and invited Eugene Peterson. He'd retired now in Montana out to, Aust- to uh, Ireland. Hey, come hang out with the band. U2, come see me in Ireland. And Eugene Peterson turned him down. Do you know why? He had a deadline. He had to finish translating the message first in the Old Testament. And so the guy interviewed him is like, you may be the only person alive who turned down Bono. And he's like, don't you understand? It's Bono. And Eugene Peterson says, no, you don't understand. It was Isaiah. <laughs> like That's what he was translating. Like That's how important Isaiah is, Like these prophecies. And Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus came, he prophesied these things that one would come a Messiah. And some of our favorite Christmas scriptures, the handles Messiah, comes from Isaiah. Isaiah is the one who said this in Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. you heard this before? And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That's Isaiah. Isaiah has these beautiful prophecies. He spoke truth to his people. But How did Isaiah get there? How did Isaiah step into his calling? That's what we're going to talk about today. How do we fully surrender our lives to God? What do you need to do to fully surrender, to be able to say to God, here I am, send me? Well, if you're taking notes this morning, and we encourage you to take notes, uh, so that then not just you can hear it, then you can read it, you can see it. We don't want to just give you some information. We want to help you have a life of transformation. So number one, you write this down, is what did Isaiah, what what did he need to do? Number one, he had to encounter the presence of God. He had to have an encounter with the presence of God. If you're going to be a force of good and hope in this world, you can't do it on your own strength. You're going to burn out. You have to have God propelling you forward. And the first step is you have to have a genuine encounter with God. Isaiah 6, verse 1. says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What's going on here? Isaiah had this vision. He encountered the presence of God. He saw God in all his glory, all his majesty. The text goes on to talk about these seraphim these, these angelic beings who are worshiping God, who are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. And we see that when Isaiah encountered the presence of God, it completely transformed who he was. When he encountered the presence of God, it completely transformed who he was. Do you not feel close to God today? Do you feel like you, maybe you aren't available to God? Do you feel like maybe God has been stirring something in your heart and you've been very resistant, you've been very hard? Maybe it's because you haven't recently encountered the presence of God. What I've learned in my life, this is not a one-time thing. You can't have an encounter with God 20 years ago that propels you forward. You have to be continually seeking the presence of God. It's through his presence that we are transformed and changed man, there's been so many different times in my life, these marked moments where I've encountered the presence of God and it has transformed and changed me. I remember being in college as a freshman and visiting my friend to his hometown in Appleton, Wisconsin. And yes, you can encounter God even in Wisconsin. It's amazing. And I remember being in this worship service and all of a sudden, man, the presence of God just came so thick upon me. I was standing there worshiping. And no joke, next thing I knew, I was on my back. Literally, the presence of God had knocked me over. Only time in my life that's ever happened. Sometimes, God's presence is so thick, man, it'll just knock you out. Sometimes, you'll just feel like like a a warmth presence all around you. I remember, before I... Proposed to and I went to a cabin in the woods on a monastery and spent some time just walking and praying and seeking God, saying, God, is this what I'm supposed to do? And man, I remember it felt like I was walking with God, like just out of the corner of my eye. It's like if I turned your head, it's like something there, but he wasn't. I couldn't see him, but I felt him, and I just knew, yes, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is, we're supposed to live life together. Do ministry. Raise kids together. I can look at different times in my life. You know, this past summer, we set up at Ryan Holland's little garage. We called it Worship in the Barn. It wasn't really a barn, but thanks, Ryan. You know, it's kind of a barn. Man, I remember that night as we gathered together. And, man, it was hot if you were there. It was so hot. I almost passed out that night. It was so hot. Man, I remember The presence of God was thick in that place. Maybe some of you would say, you know what? That's never happened to me, Eric. I've never encountered that. I want to tell you, it absolutely can happen to you. It doesn't matter your wiring. It doesn't matter uh, kind of the way, you know, you think. But God absolutely wants to reveal himself to you. Scripture tells us that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. I want to encourage you to passionately pursue the presence of God to go after it, to say, God, I want to feel you so thick that it knocks me over. God, that that I feel you're so present to me. You don't have to be in the middle of a worship service for that to happen. It could be literally driving down your car, listening to worship music. It could be just suddenly you sense the presence of God. It could be tucking your four-year-old into bed, and you're praying, and all of a sudden you feel this is a holy moment. God is here. When you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Maybe you felt distant. Maybe you haven't felt like you are available for God to use you, to send you. Perhaps that's because you haven't in a while encountered the presence of God. Man, if you need a genuine encounter of God, that's good. Seek it. Find it. Today you're in church. That's a great step. I want you to think, where, where do I encounter God? Is it in a worship service? Is it... Reading and studying God's word? Is it in your small group, in fellowship, and you just feel God is here? Is it serving others? Is it out in nature, maybe in just the stillness? You know, maybe when it gets above 10 degrees, I don't know. You know, you want to just get outside and you just feel God there. Wherever it is that you feel the presence of God, do that. And do that more in 2019. Where do you most connect with God? Seek him out. Ask, God, I want to I encounter your presence. Search my heart, change me, send me. But you can't pray that until you've encountered the presence of God. Number two, the thing you need is a genuine awareness of your own sinfulness. A genuine awareness of your sin. Isaiah 6, 5, after Isaiah encounters the presence of God in all his glory, in all his majesty, in all his splendor. Isaiah's response is this. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is in the presence of a perfect, sinless, amazing, awesome God, and he realizes how much he doesn't measure up. When Isaiah saw how holy God was, in that moment, he recognized his own unrighteousness. It was a genuine awareness of his own sinfulness. Have you ever been in a moment where you've realized how inadequate you are and how you don't measure up? How many of you have been out to eat with a friend you had this experience? You have to eat maybe Granite City, and you're like, yes, the black and blue burger, so good. Extra cheese, bacon, you know, waffle fries, seasoned sour cream on the side. You're like, oh, so good. And you're also getting hungry. Yeah, I'm fasting until noon, so I'm so excited to eat at noon. <laughs> but, you know, you get this big burger, the french fries, the seasoned sour cream, you're like, oh, it's so good. And then your friend orders, like, a salad with dressing on the side with, a, with you know, a side of raw kale. And you're like, oh, man, like, I'm so inadequate right now. Like, you were so much healthier than me. Or maybe you go to the beach with a friend, and you both take, you know, like, you, you realize your friend has been working out and exercising all winter, and you've been binge-watching Hallmark movies or you know maybe the latest, latest season of Stranger Things, and then you're like, oh no, man, I'm gonna keep my shirt on, guys, right? You ever been in that moment? That's kind of what Isaiah is experiencing on a cosmic scale. He's realizing how inadequate he is compared to God. He realizes his life is filled with sin. But the beautiful thing about God is it's not just about Oh, I'm so inadequate, God. I don't measure up. I'm so guilty. I'm filled with sin and shame. It's not just about realizing how inadequate you are, it's about experiencing God's amazing grace. Sin is both a noun and a verb. Did you know that? We don't talk about this a lot in church. I realized that a couple weeks ago when I was having a theological discussion with a friend. Sin is both something that you do, missing the mark, but it's also a condition that we find ourselves in. Book of Romans, actually, the church planner Paul talks about sin way more often as a noun than as a verb. It's not just something that we do, it's something that is on us. It's a condition that we are in. Here's what happens to Isaiah after he says, man, I'm a man of unclean lips, Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal they had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. What happened? Isaiah saw the presence of God. He recognized, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. Then God does something absolutely amazing. God removes his guilt and forgives his sin. Not only does he forgive him for those actions, but through that cleansing fire, he takes away that sin, the noun, and he removes it forever. He forgives and he removes. With one touch from the goodness of God, his sins are forgiven and completely atoned for. Imagine that, your lying lips forgiven. Your lustful attitude, forgiven. Your self-centered thoughts, forgiven. Your angry outbursts, forgiven. Every secret sin you never told anyone, forgiven. As if they've never happened. Not just forgiven, but removed. Taken away. God separates your sins as far as the east is from the west. He says he does not remember your sins anymore. When you confess your sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins And cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's the theological, called the expiation and propitiation. It's not just forgiveness and atoning, it's the goat being sent off into the wilderness. It's out of here. That shame, that guilt that you've been carrying, it's gone. The fire cleanses, it removes, it purifies. Yeah, that's amazing news, amen? When you truly experience the grace of God, it transforms everything. In the same way that Cole touched Isaiah's lips and removed his guilt, for us today, the blood of Jesus covers our sins. That Jesus on the cross took all our sin and he carried it. And so that through the cross it can be removed. When we sense God's presence, Maybe you've been in a worship service and you just sense that weight, that's what glory means, it means weight, you feel the, the weightiness of God, and in those moments of maybe you feel your sinfulness, when you're aware of your sinfulness, then God wants you to move to experience his unmatched, undeserved grace of God through Jesus Christ, and our only response then is to say, God, here am I. Use me. Send me. It's not my life. It's not my desires. It's yours. What does it take to get to that attitude of Isaiah? We have to encounter God's presence. It takes a genuine awareness of our sinfulness. And number three, it takes a willingness to go. A willingness to go. Verse eight, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. One of the most dangerous prayers you can pray is God, I'm yours. Any time, any place, use me, send me to do anything. Now, I think what happens so often is at youth camp, at different times, We say, God, you know, God's going to send you, and and it's like, that only means, like, he's going to send you to seminary, or he's going to send you to the missions field. Man, that is absolutely not true. We've talked about this, that the calling of working in a church or being a missionary is no more holy than any other job. Actually, the highest calling, C.S. Lewis says, is mothering, and that every other vocation exists to support that. I love that. But God if wants to send you back to where you are right now at your job, in your neighborhood to make a difference. Uh, the Global Leadership Summit is like a conference they put, they put on at Willow Creek Church in Chicago and they broadcast around the world. And a few years ago they interviewed uh, one of the colonels who's a, a fighter pilot. He trains fighter pilots. and And I think his story does such an amazing job of someone who said, God, here am I, send me. And that meant just back to the same men that he was investing in already. And he realized that he could just change his thinking a little bit, and what a big difference that could make. Uh, so go ahead, Elijah, if you got that video, go ahead and check out this.
1: The United States Air Force fighter pilots are the most laser-focused, passionate people you'll ever meet. If your reaction time is off by less than half a second, it is a life or death situation. They have to be that good. My job is to teach Air Force pilots the art and science of being a fighter pilot. when I got into the Air Force. The goal was I'm gonna be the best fighter pilot on the planet. And then I started looking to people that I worked with. They're really good at flying the jet and instructing, but some of them are in a very broken state. When somebody develops you in the military, they focus on the career progression. And that didn't allow for growth in other areas and the overall growth of a human beings. We see it time and time again in our community. People are so good at being a fighter pilot, but they're missing these other critical ailments. I was jazzed when I got this assignment. I thought this would be an opportunity to change. We could do things better. Our most precious commodity is not this, this jet. It is that wingman, and it's you, you the instructor pilot, and it's your family. And if we don't take care of that wingman, that instructor pilot, and if we don't develop them, then we failed. So we went right after the flight commanders. And we said, we are gonna make you a better fighter pilot, a better instructor, a better husband, a better father, I'm gonna make you a better leader. That is what we're gonna do over the next two years in the 435th. This message resonates with Air Force leadership. They wanna know how we're doing this. What is the model? His role is not in making sure that we're doing the mission. That's the director of operations job. That's his second in command's job. His job is to lead the squadron. His job is to build the Air Force's next great leaders. He asked me the first time we met is, do you care? And at first I'm like, well, of course I care. But if you think a little more deeply into that question, if someone cares, you can work with them on anything else. And I think the first step in caring about something is you have to have something that's bigger than you. And Kaiser definitely has something in his life, his faith that's bigger than him that drives him. And it has had a tremendous impact on our squad and the fact that he lives that out. My faith is everything. Is who I am. And I know you're not allowed to go ahead and preach your one religion. And as weird as it sounds, I kind of like the policy. Stop talking about it. Live it out. Live it out the way you lead, the way you teach, the way you treat other people. Our wingmen will not remember anything that I have taught them on basic fighter maneuvers. They won't remember that five years from now. But they will remember how they felt around me. They will remember, I felt inspired by this commander. I felt like he cared about me. And I knew if I didn't meet an expectation, he was going to make me better because he loved me.
0: When we planted Mosaic Church, we said a lot of great churches in Maple Grove there's a unique community that God wants us to reach. And, and, and I thought I knew who that was, and, and, and I was partially right, I think. But I've been continuously amazed at the quality of people we have inside this church. People who own their own businesses. People that manage ama- amazing teams of people. Higher-ups at so many companies. People that work downtown. And honestly, I've, wow, God, that's an amazing responsibility. Why have you given so many phenomenal people in our church? Here's why I think. Because so many of you have people you train, you work with, employees that you have hired because you've started your own businesses. And those people have real lives. You have people working for you, working with you, whose marriages are on the rocks, people who are dying in their sins right now, who are struggling with secret shame and addiction. They hold it together just enough so they don't lose their job. And you have the opportunity to invest in them. God wants to send you to those people that no one else maybe can touch or invest in. And it may not be preaching, but it may be just, hey, we're going to help you grow as a leader, as a husband, as a father, as a mother, as a wife, to show that you care about the whole person. That's what it means to serve others. That's what it means to love others. I love that God didn't call Lieutenant Colonel Mark out of the Air Force and sent him to some foreign country to be a pastor. Instead, he sent him back to the people that he was in life with to train, to equip, so that then they went back to their bases. And God cares way more about your willingness than your ability. To just say, God, here I am, send me. Even if you feel inadequate, even if you feel like your abilities are not great, He cares more about your willingness. I want to ask you, just reflect, pause, and say, what place, what situation, what person does God want to send you to? Especially those of you who are leading teams, who are managing employees, who are training people. And What does God want you to invest in them? Where does God want to send you? Who else is going to go to that circle of influence that God has already given you? Instead, we want to say, God, here am I, send me. God, send me to my coworkers, send me to my neighbors, send me to my church. To say, God, you know what? I will hold babies, I will hold a door. God, I will host a small group. I will invest in the next generation on Sunday nights by pouring into them at youth group. Will you say to God, God, I will do whatever it takes to build your church? Send me to my community, into the homeless shelters, to the poor and needy. I will go. I will bring this message of hope and forgiveness. God is saying, who will I send? Will you say to God, God, here am I. Send me whatever abilities I have, whatever influence I have. Use it. Use me, God. This isn't some kind of like, well, I guess I have to pray this prayer. This is, I get to, I get to wake up in the morning and say, I have breath in my lungs. Today is the day the Lord has made. He's given me gifts. He's put me in this moment, today in history. So God, I'm going to give you everything I have to bring glory to you. God, use me to bring a hope to the people that come across my path. believe that God will give you exactly what you need. We like to say, man, I don't want to say anything on Sunday that you can't use on Monday. And sometimes I know I I do well with that, sometimes I I don't. But man, tomorrow morning when you wake up, jump out of bed even though it's freezing cold. (laughs) Today is the day the Lord has made. God, use me. Send me to make a difference. Maybe you're just starting out in your career and, and you don't have people working underneath you. You can be a force of good and hope to your boss. You can come into their office Monday morning. What can I do to serve you? It may, they might fall over, you know? How can you care and invest in those people that God has already put in your path? How do we do this, though? Because if, if we do it on our own strength, we will burn ourselves out and we will burn out. We have to do it by having an encounter with God's presence. By having an awareness of our own sin inadequacies, to see all the ways we've been lying to ourselves, that we've been hiding, to get truly broken down so that God's grace can then build us up. As we say, take the coal, cleanse my lips, remove my sin, burn it away, so that we are free and forgiven. And then our response is to say, God, here am I. Send me. I'm, gonna invite, I'm gonna invite the band. Wow, I don't know what's going on there. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. Come on up, band. Why don't more people pray this prayer? I think people are scared. I think people think God is going to send you to Africa. You know, that you'll never get to use a real toilet again but he's probably not. He might, but he's probably not. He might send you to the toddlers, though, and they don't use bathrooms either here in Mosaic. (laughs) It's far more likely God's going to send you to be a missionary to where you already work because that's just as holy. He's going to call you to serve the people in front of you, to be faithful where he's already given you. And when you're faithful with the little, God will give you faithful with more. When you pray, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go, he may prompt you to serve somewhere in the church. He may prompt you to lead a small group. He may prompt you to invest in that difficult co-worker who no one likes, but maybe they are struggling in ways that you don't know, to invest in their marriages. There are people on your teams. There are teachers who work for you. They won't work for you forever. You have a limited window. We say, you know, here at Mosaic, we don't know how long you will be a part of Mosaic. Hopefully it's years. I don't know how long I get to pastor you. We hold that very open-handed. Especially Minnesota culture, people are transient, they move. Same with the people that work for you, that work with you, that you're doing school with. Every day is a gift. The opportunity to pour into them, to invest. Don't think you have forever. Instead, think, okay, I have a limited amount of time with this employee that's on my team. How am I going to choose to invest in them for however little long they're in my life so that when they move on to another team or when they go to another job, when they go to another school, they remember, man, the way that Josh invested in me, the way that Wendy invested in me. Man, they loved me. They served me. Maybe God will use that to help them find the grace and forgiveness of God. How do we get to the Place where we can pray that prayer, though, that dangerous prayer of God, here am I, send me. We have to have an encounter with God's presence, an awareness of our sins, and a willingness to go. So, as we wrap up our service, we're going to just end with a worship song. And I want to encourage you to seek the presence of God, like to go after it. I know not everyone connects with music. Throughout the Bible, that's one of the ways God's people have connected with Him. I want to encourage you to push past the outer courts, to reach out to Him. Try something different. Maybe sing and pray on your knees. Reach out your hands to God. The Psalms tells us to, to lift our hands to Him, to lift your voice, to sing. Maybe close your eyes. Maybe like Isaiah picture God seated high and above this ugly gymnasium in all his glory and say God I want to encounter your presence I want to receive your grace so that I can have a willingness to go would you stand with me as we sing as we close by wanting to encounter the presence of God would you pray these prayers that we've been praying for this 21 days, God, search me. God, change me. God, send me. God, search me. God, change me. God, send me. And he will answer those prayers. But they're dangerous prayers. They will change you. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are here. And God, that if we search for you, that you will find us. So God, I pray that right here in this moment, in this ugly elementary school gymnasium, God, that we would be transported to another time, another place. God, that we would truly encounter your presence. God, that we would be moved by your glory. We'd feel the weight of you by your perfection, your omnipotence. God, that we would just be in awe of who you are. God, that we would be aware of our sin, that in this moment we could confess so we could receive your grace. God, that we would pray that you would come, touch us, cleanse us with your fire, remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. And that God then would say, send us. Send us back to the kids that I look after. Send us back to the teachers that I've hired. Send me back to the employees I mentor. Send me back to those patients I'm going to see Monday morning. Help me see them as you see them. God, reignite fresh purpose and passion in my life to see that we are only here for a very small amount of time. We'll never get yesterday back, but tomorrow is a gift, God. Help us to use it. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing to him.